0: Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Bradley, and welcome back into another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Today we are going to be continuing our deep dive into the hit Netflix series Bridgerton and discussing the fourth episode, and also the best episode so far, of season one entitled An Affair of Honor. Before we begin, I would like to remind everyone that Let's Dive Deep does in fact contain adult content, and this episode has some adulty content indeed. There is a scene where two of our characters, again, you'll never guess which two, are kissing in the garden and and one of the characters is seemingly up until this point never kissed a person in her life yet she seems like an absolute expert on the topic and there's some there's some grabbing and some there's just stuff there's stuff we're going to talk about that we probably shouldn't talk about around children so if you're listening to this and that's not something you want to discuss further now's a great time to tune out also if you have this podcast on around children that is your prerogative but I recommend against doing that. Let's Dive Deep also does not contain any spoilers past the episode we are discussing. I know very little about what happens past this episode anyways, so it's not like I could even spoil anything if I wanted to. But just so you know, in case you're coming in, doing this an episode at a time, along with the podcast, you are safe here. There will be no spoilers, so if you've only watched episode, up to episode four, you are good to go. Obviously, if you've watched all of Bridgerton and you're just coming back in after you've binged the show to listen to the podcast, that is cool as well. But just know it's a safe spot for anyone, no matter where you are along your Bridgerton journey. And finally, we have a Twitter if you would like to connect with us on social media. Also, we will be doing shows and podcasts about those shows after Bridgerton is done, and those will be in different feeds. So the Twitter is at Let's Dive Deep, and that's where you can connect with me to let me know what you thought about the podcast, about Bridgerton, etc. but also so you know what podcasts we will be doing next after Bridgerton if you are excited for that. There is an email address, uh, Pod at gmail.com. If you guys want to e- email me what you thought of the episode, that would be super cool. I'd love to hear what you thought about the episode. And I'd love to have those discussions on the podcast as well. So if you email anything kind of worth bringing up on the podcast, I will definitely do that. And finally. You're having a good time here, whether you're on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, I don't know, in the in the little analytics thing. People have listened to this on like 15 different podcatchers, so I have no idea where you might be listening from, but I'm sure there's some sort of review thing on there, so if you want to go leave a review, five stars is preferable. It makes me feel good and also helps the podcast get out to more people, but go on Apple Podcasts, go wherever you can leave a review if you're enjoying the podcast and do that there. Otherwise... Let's get ready, kick back, relax, maybe grab a beverage, and let's dive deep into Season 1, Episode 4 of Bridgerton, entitled An Affair of Honor. I require a moment with the Duke. I require a moment with the Duke. Make it brief. You should not have come. My mind's not changed. It must. If not for your sake, then mine. Simon, we were seen. Cressida Cowper witnessed us in the garden. She knows... It is not merely your own life that hangs in the balance now. If you do not marry me, I shall be ruined. Daphne, I cannot. Did you not hear me? Someone knows what we have done. Someone who will surely talk. What possible reason could you have to condemn me to shame and... reproach? Do you truly... Do you truly hold me in such low regard? It is because I regard you so highly that I cannot marry you. I know you do not love me, but I never thought you could despise me so. Daphne You must know if we were to wed, I can never give you children. It is your dream to be a mother, is it not? to have a household full of love and laughter like the one you have known all your life. You deserve nothing less. You deserve everything your heart desires. But I cannot provide it for you. Nor could I ever ask such a sacrifice. Please, Daphne, for your own sake. You must stand aside and let your brother finish this. We must resume before someone should find us. There will be no need to resume. The Duke and I are to be married. This fourth episode of season one was written by Abby McDonald. What a great job Abby McDonald did and was directed by Sharif Folkson. And for a score, for a score here, you know, I don't know the writer or the director, so we're we're just naming it, giving them the credit, and then we'll see if any patterns develop. You know, last episode we noticed a pattern between Tom Verita, I believe his name is, and Chris Van Dusen, and which episodes they were writing and directing. So we'll just we'll throw the names out there and see if they, they pop back into our lives in future episodes. This is the best episode of Bridgerton yet, for sure. However, I don't think it's transcending. Other great television. I'm really enjoying it. It's a very good show. This episode specifically was a very, very, very fun watch. I, there were there was no moments in this episode where I felt dragged along at all. Everything was moving. Everything was great. I'm gonna give it a seven point nine. I think I really want to be exclusive with the eight pluses. Once you're in the eights, you're really pumping out like great TV. But this is as close as it gets without transcending into some of the great episodes of other television because this was just a spectacular episode very fun, very witty, very charming. I have at least five or six different things I'm going to bring up along the way. Different camera tricks, different pieces of writing that I thought were really good, different ways that different scenes were cut together. The music in this episode, again, you know, there's no covers in this episode, but the way they use music to build the tension is is really good. So there's all those things that are still working. And I think this is a a solid 7.9 I might regret this. I, I, I really feel like this could be pushed into the eights. So once we do a season review, I'm going to go over all of my scores. And of course, once you know some things, right, once we find out who Lady Whistledown is, I might change my, the, the score rating of the episodes accordingly. And so when we do our season end kind of review, I'm going to be adjusting the scores of each episode to how it makes sense with the ending and how much it contributed to the story so this if any episode is going to get extra points for me at the end it'll be this one i'm going to give it a 7.9 for now but that is a take in development it is it is uh i'm not sure i want to stick with it 7.9 for now but i wouldn't be surprised when we do the season end review podcast if i bump this up just just north of eight because i really enjoyed this episode Overall, there were, there were so many things that worked for me this episode. I don't even know what I'm going to say yet for the what didn't work for me. There are a few little things, but in terms of what worked for me, Daphne, Daphne, Daphne worked for me this episode. She was incredible. The acting was incredible. I got massive, like, young Kira Knightley vibes from the, what's her name? I don't, I should know her name. Phoebe, it's, isn't it Phoebe. It's Phoebe something. I can't remember. I was IMDBing to get all the episode deets and whatnot, and I think it's Phoebe something. Oh, this is embarrassing. Anyways, she was incredible. I got really young Kira Knightley vibes from her in terms of like her facial expression, the way she speaks. Everything about it was giving me really good vibes. But the emotion of it all. I felt like she had a real choice this episode. She clearly wants the Duke. She's clearly... You know, there's that scene with Lady Bridgerton where she's saying that it was all a ruse, but you can tell she doesn't mean it. Which again, this is the second or third time characters have been saying things out loud that they didn't mean. The Duke did that last episode when he was doing his little breakup with Daphne. And the fact that this is still working on me, this is the second or third time this has happened in two episodes, and it's still really evocative and emotional, and the acting is really good here, and the character's written well, and I'm really vibing with what Daphne is doing. She has a real choice here. She has the Duke who she clearly wants, despite her best efforts to the contrary. When she's getting that beautiful necklace put on here, she's dreaming of the Duke. When they're at the boxing scene and he's like rolling up his sleeve. I don't know if he rolled up the sleeve sexier than he licked the spoon, but they're pretty close. They're pretty close. The Duke knows how to make a move. And Daphne's like melting into her seat on the bleachers she has a choice and the prince is perfect. This is what makes the choice work is the prince is nice and kind and wants all the same things as Daphne. Wants kids, wants to live in England, wants that family. We have the big reveal at the end that the Duke can't, we already kind of knew that, but the Duke says to Daphne that he can't give her children, which I have so many questions about. And we'll talk about those at the end of the podcast. Right. But she has this contrast here. She wants the Duke but the Duke is not as good of an option as the Prince. And that whole emotional thing is working, even though it's a pretty simple crux, a very simple dichotomy there. It's very much working on me and I really enjoyed it. I'm not sure if I need to throw myself in Bridgerton jail for this take, but Anthony, this is the first episode where Anthony worked for me. Last episode, we got layers, I thought, like, I I remember going to last episode, I remember on the podcast talking about how I thought he cared for Sienna, and that, you know, he's a dink, he's bad at his job, but I get the sense that he actually does care about her, and he has some redeeming qualities, and he's just very bad- At being the man of the house. But he's not. He doesn't go into it with any malicious intentions. And I really enjoyed Anthony this episode. He's very clever. He stands up for Daphne. He does all that. With the duel. And standing up for her honor. And telling the Duke that he has to marry her. Again, so many questions about that. Like the punishment for dishonoring someone is you have to marry them. There's some loopholes there that we need to discuss later. But... Anthony and he's and he's clever about it, you know he's doing this for Daphne. He starts it with really good intentions, but he also realizes this is my chance, you know, one way or the other, I either kill the Duke and I have to leave or I die. But either way, I can use this to either be with Sienna or take care of Sienna and be the man of the house and and defend my sister's honor. And I I like that from Anthony. He's being clever. He's not. They're not just making him the best character ever. They're not taking it from someone you really don't like that much to someone you adore. But they're expanding on these layers we got last episode. And Anthony, we'll talk about it throughout the podcast, but just really, really, it worked for me. I, I enjoyed Anthony this episode, which is something I thought I would never say. I'm going to keep it to three things on the on the, on the top here at the top of the podcast but the whole duel worked for me and I don't even care about the duel in this show the whole entire time the build up the duel the ending I was just like singing the 10 duel commandments from Hamilton in my head and that was perfect. You can you put on the song if you haven't tried it yet watch the dueling scene and put on the song uh, the Ten Dual Commandments from the Hamilton soundtrack on Spotify, and it is perfection. I loved all the Hamilton references. I don't know if they're doing it; they must be doing it consciously, right? When this show is made, Hamilton is already culturally just at the top of the zeitgeist. They, the people who made the show, would have known everything to do with Hamilton, the Broadway musical, and the 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 Ten Dual Commandments song in that in that musical is just perfection. For this episode, and I know they're not explicitly alluding to that, but I just, I just soaked it in. I was just like, you know what? I'm just gonna sing Hamilton this whole episode, and I loved it. I'm a fan, a huge fan of Hamilton, and I'm a huge fan of duels in TV shows, and merging those two together for the first time. This is the first time I've watched a TV show with a duel since I listened and watched Hamilton and everything, and that just, it was a, it was a match made in heaven, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The only thing that sticks out is something that didn't work for me this episode. You know, again, these are not 10 out of 10 episodes of TV, so they're not transcending. I'm not ending these episodes going, like, if I don't watch the next episode of Bridgerton right now, this is, like, I just, I I can't physically not go to the next episode. None of these episodes are going to end up, if you go to, like, the the <laughs> the IMDB or whatever rating system, top 50 TV episodes of all time, they're not going to appear there. But the only thing that really stands out that didn't work for me was Lady Cowper, Cressida, Cressida Cowper. And the only reason is she is just, to me, like another Mr. Burbrook, just a villain for the sake of being a villain. I'm not invested in her character. I don't think she has any good points. The best villains, you can kind of see where they're coming from and they think they're the hero. She has this moment where she says, you could have chosen anyone you want, right? Why not let me be happy? I knew he'd be, it's like, she can choose anyone she wants, so she's choosing the prince who's the best option, right? That's it's, it's, it's wild to say you can have anyone you want, but then expect them to not go for the best option just because you also like the best option. But I also didn't get the sense that the prince was ever that interested in her, so I don't know where she's getting this illusion from that she was definitely going to marry the prince if Daphne hadn't showed up. I just was not in on lady cowper i wasn't in on the emotion of it all i didn't care about anything she was saying every time she was on the screen i was just like oh can you just leave like, why are you here? Why are you here? I get it. You're the villain for the sake of being the villain. You're the person who's here to add some, like, emotional stakes to it. But it really fell a little bit flat for me. She's like Lord Burbrook. There's just no redeeming qualities to her. She doesn't have any good points. I could definitely not see where... I can't see where she's coming from. I don't understand where she's gotten this idea from that she was definitely going to be with the prince until Daphne showed up. So that whole thing, it was just clunky to me. Cressida Cowper in this episode was just clunky. We got a little bit of her last episode just to introduce her. You had that scene at the Modiste, And then uh, I think you're meant to come into this episode knowing who Lady Cowper is and knowing that she's in on the prince. You know, the art of the swoon. It was Lady Cowper that swooned with the prince and the prince caught her and it was all romantic. But I just, the, the the payoff for all of that just didn't exist in this episode for me. And every time she was on the screen, I was like, can we just get her? Like, do we do we need her? I felt like, and it's just the contrast. Like you have this duel and the weight of that. And Anthony's trying to be the man of the house. And as much as I think he does a terrible job, there's at least emotion in that. And he's starting to make some good points. And I'm in on it. And then Lady Cowper shows up and you're like, you just come down. The, the high, you go from the emotional high of everything else and you just come down to where Lady Cowper is, and she's just there to move the plot along. Lady Cowper's there so she can see the makeout sesh, which I'm not even sure she sees. That seems suspicious, right? And it's just so the Duke then has to have this choice because someone saw it. She's just kind of plot feet. She's just in the story to move the plot along. She's not a real character. And that, that, that bugged me a little bit this episode. If I had to pick something that stood out, it would be that. It's not like as I was watching it, I was like, oh my god, I'm turning this off. Lady Cowper's on the screen. But since we're doing the podcast and I am trying to critically analyze this, um, I think Lady Cowper was the one, you know, the one that stood out, the sore thumb, if you will, in this episode. We start this episode in, I want to say, the Queen's Palace. I'm not sure if it's ever actually told to us where this happens. I'm assuming it's somewhere where the Queen lives, probably whatever palace they live buckingham is it buckingham palace i didn't actually know that a lot of these people in this show are real people like queen charlotte is a real person i didn't know that for the longest time as i was watching this so i'm assuming this is buckingham palace i have no idea anyways we're in some sort of palace daff is drawing all the eyes lady whistledown is is there we didn't get a lot of lady whistledown this episode we get a little bit more of her this episode and she's, she's pretty much saying like, oh my God, Daphne's got a prince and she's not willing to write off the Duke yet, which is, you know what, Lady Whistledown. Lady Whistledown is like one of the people that, like one of the mediums that can say or see the future. Just say, just say enough of everything that no matter what happens, it's within the realm of what you said. So Lady Whistledown's like, she could be marrying the prince, but I don't want to write off the Duke. And that covers a hundred percent of the options. <laughs> and so when Daphne picks one or the other, Lady Whistledown gets to be right. Anyways, Mama Bridgerton kills it this episode, and we have this first little moment that I, I found really charming where she is eating. And Daphne, this is a cool flip. We are used to mothers and parents teaching their kids the rules of the road, how to exist in the world. And in this scene, it's Daphne kind of scolding her mother a bit, be like, Mom, we are at court. You do not eat the fucking cake before the queen comes in. You know this. You know these rules. And Lady Bridgerton doesn't care. And I... I really like that that emotional flip there where we get to see some of the kids scold their parents a little bit. I always think that's fun when it comes up in these types of shows. I don't know if I mentioned it in the last episode, but as The Prince was coming in, this is definitely the same actor, I think, that played Cormac McLaggen in Harry Potter. So I just have an all capital letters. Cormac is back. He invited Daphne to the ball, so we learned that it was the prince's invitation that brought her here. Makes a lot of sense why she's attending. I'm assuming mom is like the chaperone figure. Maybe she was invited by the queen. And he says that Daphne is perfection itself. And you know what? You know what? You're you're just a nice guy, Mr. Prince. You're just a nice guy. That's a nice thing to say. And he gives her this beautiful necklace. This beautiful just, I don't even know what to... Co- I don't. Okay, I'm not Okay, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm not a jewelry uh, fanatic here. I, I don't know a lot about different... I know, like, the difference between earrings and necklaces, but I don't know the difference between individual necklaces. So I have no idea what type of necklace this is, but it's beautiful, it's big, it looks very expensive, which I think is important here. And as he's putting it on her, she's imagining the Duke, like, touching her neck. It's very... It's a weird, like, sensual thing you get where he's putting the necklace on, but you get the duke who's not, it's not like she's imagining the duke just taking the prince's spot. She's just imagining the duke touching her neck. It's a little bit weird and sensual for the moment, but it's fine and it works. And we're pretty much just learning that Daphne just is thinking about the duke and is not paying attention in the situation. And the prince even calls this out and says, like, are you unwell? Are you all right? And she's like, oh, of course, I'm totally fine. No, you're not, Daphne. No, you're not. Embrace your feelings. You are not fine. At the Bridgerton house, we get some really charming moments with Hyacinth. I think her name is Hyacinth. I've written it, I've written it down how it's spelled, and I think she pronounces it Hyacinth. And Hyacinth, the youngest daughter, is having, is having a lot of fun at Daphne's expense. Daphne's trying to walk up the stairs, and Hyacinth's just following her like, are you going to marry the prince? Will you have to wear a crown? Will you have to learn Prussian? And she is little Daphne. Eloise is the odd one out here. There's a fourth sister that we don't know about. I do know that there's eight kids, four males and four females. And so somewhere in this universe, there's a, there's a fourth sister that doesn't exist. We have Anthony benedict colin and gregory for the lads and then we have hyacinth daphne and eloise for the lasses but there's no four there's a fourth i, I don't know anyways and <laughs> i appreciate this so much as younger siblings you look up to your older siblings and it's cool for hyacinth to be roaming around just admiring her sister. And I'm the oldest kid. And not that I've ever been in a situation like this. But I have younger siblings. Where right? I can relate to like just trying to walk around and live my life. And just wanting to like throw my younger brothers down the stairs. Like, Hyacinth, shut up. I'm trying to go to my room. I need to have a nap. I need to think of the Duke some more. You know, he taught me some stuff the other day. And I'm still not sure I understand fully. So I'm going to go back and do that. Can you, like leave and I, I appreciated that dynamic between the siblings. I thought it was very true to life regardless of whether you are someone like me who is not in any of the situations that these people would be and it felt really true to life that it, it doesn't matter where what your station in life is siblings are still going to be siblings and they're still going to be annoying and they're still going to bother you and I, I appreciated that. Box Position is back and I'm not sure how happy I am about it because Box Position did not you know um It did not endear me last time we had it, but it was much better in this episode. Basically, the box position exists to tell us that The Duke needs to stay in town because his presence at this boxing match means people will bet on Will, who's his friend, the guy he's been boxing with this whole time, and you need something. This scene only really exists to keep the Duke in town. The Duke's about to leave. If the Duke leaves, we don't have any Daphne and the Duke anymore, which means we have no TV show. So this whole episode, if you had really thought about what was going to happen this episode, you would have thought about, hey... We need a way for the Duke to stay here, and I felt this was a compelling reason. It's not the best reason for the Duke to stay, but it is a good enough reason that I was willing to go along to get along. Like, just, yep, everything's good. The The, the Duke needs to stay in town. That is fine. And Will is actually quite funny. There's a lot of quippy moments here when... The Duke is punching the, the bag of grain or whatever it is. And Will comes up and says something like, does that bag of grain have a Prussian or a German accent or something? Referencing the prince. I, I, It's just charming and funny. And I like, same with Sienna, same with Will. I like when these secondary characters have emotions, have lives. We We learn a little bit about them. Will is in this scene to convince the Duke to stay. So his character... Much like Lady Cowper exists in this scene to move the plot along because we need the Duke. The story demands that the Duke stays in London so that him and Daphne can hook up again. But, but... They do it in a way where you learn a little bit about Will. You develop his character. He's very funny. And I, I just enjoyed this scene for those reasons. I like when we get these secondary characters and you know, they're not going to be overly important to the end, the end game of the show, but along the way, they provide a lot of levity. They provide a lot of fun and they're, they're well thought out and well written. And I appreciated this scene for that. But basically the Duke needs to stay so his friend can have people bet on him because if the Duke shows up, people will trust that his, his friend is worth betting on. And then he will have, uh, the, the boxer will have some money come out of this whole boxing match. I still don't really care that much at all about Marina's character, but it was better this episode than the last. This whole Lord Rutledge thing really sucks. I really felt bad. This whole situation with Marina is just, there's no good way out of it. And Lady Featherington again is trying to explain this to her. Like, look, There are so many callers. You are right. You are attractive. There are other people who will be with you, but it's going to be like pretty fucked up in six months when they realize the kid that you're birthing way too early is not theirs. So you have to find someone like Lord Rutledge who is not going to ask any questions. And the problem with Lord Rutledge is that he's just an old, gross, weird guy. And it's, and, you know, it is a bit of a shame that, like, these, this guy is just stereotyped that way, and he's asking about her teeth, and, uh you just, you, you, you feel bad for Marina because you don't want her to end up with this guy, but, like, after the end of the episode, Marina was, like, the last person on my mind. Still sucks, though. Again, Lady Featherington making some good points. Making some really good points, and I, I appreciate where she's coming from in the whole Marina business. We get the 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 Featherington sisters as well in this scene, and I put and I put whoa the sisters exist. Holy shit! I completely forgot about them in the last episode. Are they? They were in the last episode for one scene to tell us that the prince was arriving, and I think that's it if I'm remembering correctly. And so I was like, oh wow, the other Featherington sisters that aren't Penelope exist, and and Philippa. I think we this is when we probably learn her name is Philippa. Philippa Featherington has a caller. You go Philippa. I called this guy uh cheese and sneeze. This guy walks in, he's he's uh sneezing later in the episode. He talks about how he likes cheese. He's just a charming guy. He's a nice guy. He seems perfect for Philippa. So I'm happy he has a collar. In this scene, you don't know about the cheese thing. You just know about the sneeze thing. But I ended up calling this guy Cheese and Sneeze. So Philippa and Cheese and Sneeze are getting along. And she has a collar. And it's great. And good for you, Philippa. And Lady Featherington is stoked. She looks shocked when this guy comes in and goes, like, I'm here for Philippa and not for Marina. She stares like, oh, my God oh my god, happy days. My whole life's work to get Philippa to this moment where she has a call. It's just, it's very charming. It's very fun. Good for you, Philippa. I'm happier for Philippa than I am upset for Marina. Like, I just don't know. I just don't know. But Philippa and Cheese and Sneeze, how cute were they? They were so cute. Eloise and Penelope are walking around and Eloise is uh, just doing her I hate men stuff. Why can't we be equal stuff? And I agree with all of it, but it's like This is the third or fourth or fifth rehash of the same thing. And I wish the show would give Eloise a little more substance. Um, It's just that I get it. I get it, Eloise is very, last episode she had the whole scene where if Benedict wants anything, if he wants the sun and the moon, he just has to shoot at the sky, so having like the 87th Eloise scene in two episodes, where she's not saying anything profound or new, and she's just just saying the same things with different words over again, I wish she had a little more depth, but but by the end of this episode, she seems to be on a hunt for Lady Whistledown. So it seems like we're going in the direction where Eloise is going to start, um, start worrying about other things as well. And it's not that I, do, I don't agree with Eloise. I think Eloise is one of the, the best characters in the show because she's just, she's just living in the future. She's kind of an avatar for the people who are watching this like us, who are, I guess there's no other option. But for those of us, all of us who are watching this in the 21st century, she is the avatar for that. She is thinking in ways that we think now and so it's not that I don't agree with her I definitely do and I appreciate where she's coming from and she's definitely correct but to have the it felt like the hundredth scene in two episodes where she's just saying I hate men why can't we be equal to men just with different words and I I wish there was a little more there other than just that one I want I want a layer to that I want another layer to Eloise here but I only want to mention this scene because there's like a suspicious whistle down conversation here where eloise is trying to figure out who lady whistledown is and penelope wants nothing to do with it so penelope wants nothing to do with a whistledown conversation twice in this episode once in this scene and once in the later scene but in this scene here penelope is penelope doesn't have a reason and in the, in the later scene she has a decent reason to not care about the whistledown thing and to yell at eloise which we'll talk about but here She doesn't like they're just walking around town and she's just talking about Lady Whistledown. And Penelope is really trying to avoid the conversation or saying like, wow, what a life you've imagined for her or anything. I don't know. It leads me to believe that Penelope is farther along. It it leads me to believe that Penelope is also trying to figure out who Lady Whistledown is and has more info that she's not just giving Eloise. I don't think Penelope or Eloise is Lady Whistledown. It's probably definitely not Eloise. I think I think the show's making that too obvious. The show's not giving me any good reasons to think it's Penelope, but she was suspicious, and I think she knows more than Eloise. I think she has better guesses or is just also Sherlocking to try and find out who Whistledown is, and I don't know. I have no idea, but this is a suspicious scene because the scene gives you zero new information so they're putting it in the show for a reason again the 187th time Eloise is saying the same thing so the only new thing in this scene that we didn't know before right we already know Eloise and Penelope are friends we already know Eloise has all all of her opinions that she has right but this is the first time that Penelope is like really trying to avoid a whistledown conversation so I'm just suspicious of it I don't think it means either of them are Lady Whistledown or anything, but they're putting it in here for a reason. So I'm thinking as of this moment, Penelope is also trying to find out who Lady Whistledown is and has more information or is closer than Eloise and just isn't telling her for some reason. I guess this whole thing, we'll find out. We'll find out as we keep going, I'm sure. But this is where I'm at as the scene was playing. It's boxing time, and we are finally at... Finally, it's been like three scenes. We are at the match that was referenced earlier, the reason why the Duke needed to stay in town. And there's a lot going down here. This whole boxing match was very, very cool. Anthony... Anthony is much better at being the man of the house when he's dealing with a prince. It's easy, because the prince is amazing. So your job is very simple. He walks Daphne in... Let's her go with the prince, like, says something, I can't even remember what he said, but says something like, ooh, I'm doing a really good job, like, you go, you be with, you be with the prince, and I'm just gonna sit here and be Anthony, and so he's kind of, he's feeling good about himself, you know, he's doing his job, he's matching her with a prince, I'm still not forgiving him for the Burbrook thing, he, he, he's pretending that the Burbrook thing doesn't exist, (laughs) he's pretending this was his first attempt at it, but he's doing much better this time, the prince is surprised Daphne would be here. And we learn later that Lady, or not Lady Danbury, Lady Bridgerton's also very surprised. Anthony knows as well. Anthony and Daphne both both know that Lady Bridgerton is going to be pissed that Anthony brought Daphne to the boxing match. But the prince is going to be there, so Daphne's going to be there, and that's how this is going. Daph has a few really funny quips. The prince is saying how he didn't think Daphne would show up to the boxing match, and Daph makes a funny quip about, well, clearly you haven't um clearly you haven't been here during a silk shortage at the Modiste. all the women fight each other whatever she says but there's a lot of funny quips there as well and i like this for daphne because as much as i appreciate the acting and the writing and and the way her character is portrayed it's still a very simple character and so things like this to add a little bit of depth add a little bit of um jovialness is really fun and I, i appreciated that the duke is here as well And Daphne doesn't expect this at all. I think Daphne expects the Duke to be long gone. And this whole match, this whole match, as the match is happening, these guys are fighting each other. I also don't know how these guys are not dead. They are punching. This is the same problem I had with box position in episode two, is that there's no gloves. There's no medical people around. Not that they even had a, like, I don't even think the word concussion would have existed in this time. These people are going to have severe brain damage or death. This is not a thing that, like, Will seems far too with it to be punched in the face this many times so consistently through his life. Anyway, just the medical care that these guys are receiving is not adequate for the the consistency of heavy punches they are receiving in the face. It doesn't, uh, I don't know why, uh, I just don't. Where's the doctor? Where's the doctor? Just something to acknowledge that this is not healthy for your face or your brain or your mental health or your ability to live. I'm surprised these guys aren't dead. I I don't know. What's really fun, though, is throughout the whole match... Daphne and the Duke are stealing looks at each other, and there i I'm, I'm usually I usually hate slow-mo, but the parts of the match where Daphne is staring at the Duke and it slows down a bit, and he's yelling at Will, he's giving him advice, and he's rolling up his sleeve, and Daphne Daphne looks like she is going to melt into her seat. Like she is going to swoon until she faints, and she will need to be transported home for her like she looks like she this is the love she has that like this is the love of my life look but she doesn't know it yet look she is smitten with the duke and it's very very fun the way they approach us with the slow-mo and the sleeve rolling up and the way he takes his coat off the match is getting intense and the duke takes his coat off all sexily and daphne's just like oh my god like she she looks like she's gonna fall over And what's really fun, this whole scene, I was like, is the Duke the best person to be Will's, like, boxing ring side hype guy? I don't know what that role is called in a boxing match, but the Duke is acting as the guy who stands at the ring and is hyped up. And not only have we established the Duke is bad at boxing, this guy is not as good as Will. Also, Will, like, pretty much shits on him at the beginning where Mr. Featherington is there talking about how the Duke boxes and... And Will says something like, "Yes, he's my—I I don't even know what he says—but he pretty much just dumps on on the Duke in a very funny, friendly way." Is the Duke the best person to be this hype guy? I'm not sure he is. Does he know what he's talking about? He also spends half—he also spends half the match distracted by Daphne. So, not only is he the best person at his full mental capacity and attention giving. He's spending half the match just staring at this woman. He's not even, he's not even watching the match. Will is being underserved. I'm shocked Will wins this match because he's being underserved by his hype man who is just distracted by Daphne the whole time. One of the final takeaways of the boxing match are just that the Prince and Daphne are a great match. The Prince is talking about all kinds of things like, I love to live in London. I love to have lots of kids. All these things that Daphne wants. So in addition to the boxing that needs to keep the Duke here, the scene is here to keep the Duke around but it's also here to establish the prince and Daphne would be a really good pair and I really felt that in this scene. After boxing it's time to go to the gentleman's club. Benedict and Mr. Granville have a cool scene where they're looking at painting, chatting about painting, having some good clever bands. I really like this Mr. Granville guy. This is a person who just last episode was at Somerset House looking at all his paintings and, and Benedict w- was like being respectfully critical of them but he took that opportunity, that criticism, and turned it into a chance to teach Benedict something, to, to immerse him in the world that Mr. Granville lives in. And I appreciate that as a teacher and a mentor. It's hard when people are criticizing you to take that moment, absorb the criticism, and take it and and transfer that into a teachable moment. And Mr. Granville does that. And it's a small scene and it doesn't matter at all. And I don't think this Benedict storyline really matters. I I really enjoy it for that reason though. Mr. Granville, we don't know a lot about him, but last episode, Benedict criticized him for his artwork and was wondering why it wasn't skied. And this episode, Mr. Granville (laughs) didn't take it to heart. He's laughing about it. He's chirping about it. And he invites Benedict to come to this art gallery type thing, which we learn more about later. And I wrote in my notes, like, go be an art man, Benedict. Listen to Eloise. You want the sun and the moon? Go shoot at the goddamn sky. Listen to Mr. Granville. He's giving you the chance here when he doesn't need to do it. Anthony and the Duke are also having a chat, you know, post-boxing match. The Duke must be feeling high as a kite because his friend won. Nope, just kidding. He is pissed because Daphne and the prince were sitting next to each other. Also, during the match, Daphne decides she's going to get in on it and start cheering for not Will, the prince's boxer guy, and that pisses the Duke off too. You can see he has like a little look at Daphne when she does that. And so the Duke is still decompressing, not at all excited that Will won. He's not with Will. Where's Will? Where'd Will go? Or did he make the money? We don't even get the resolution. We don't even know if Will made the money he was hoping to make because the Duke would show up. So they just yeet that character. You yeet Will out of here. We're back with the Duke. He's at the club. He's decompressing not about his friend who won the match, but about Daphne. And Anthony and him are having some bans. They feel like friends. Anthony's saying like, you know, I thought you had bad intentions, but you don't. And the Duke's like, oh, my God, are you going to miss me? And Anthony's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't need to go that far. And so they they actually feel like friends here, which I really enjoy. The only time we ever got the sense that Anthony and the Duke were actually friends other than them saying it was that, that quip that the Duke and Daphne had last episode where they were talking about putting an animal, like Anthony put an animal in the Duke's dorm. And so that's the only thing we had so far. So it's nice that we can see that Anthony and the Duke are actually friends. Then the prince shows up to ask Anthony for a word. And I know, and you know, and everyone knows that it's going to be to propose to Daphne. And as soon as the prince takes Anthony kind of offstage left... The Duke, it's a focus shot, great camera work here, just a focus shot on him, only the Duke in the frame, and he just takes his full drink, he looks like he is going to murder someone, and just drinks it straight down, and it was so relatable, and very funny, and very well shot. Again, show don't tell. This is another one of those show don't tell moments. The Duke doesn't need to say anything, just the way he looks, the way the camera's framed, the way he downs his drink. It it tells you everything you need to know about how mad the Duke is. I loved it. Very, very clever. Very great work from the creative team on the show to make that one shot tell you everything without using any words at all. Loved it. Back at the Bridgerton house, Lady Bridgerton is absolutely pissed that Anthony would take Daphne to the boxing match, and Daphne has this dumb comment where she's like, you know, I wouldn't know if the Duke was there because Hyacinth is still, Hyacinth is the best. She's like, oh my God, a prince and a Duke, you have so many options. Like she is just, she's the younger sibling. She's one note, but that one note is hilarious. And Daphne's like, yeah, I have no idea about the Duke. Was he there? If he was, I sure wouldn't know about it. To which I wrote in my notes, shut the fuck up, Daphne. You almost fainted like eight times because the Duke was rolling up his sleeve and you have the gall to come back into this thing and pretend he doesn't exist. Like, come off it, get out of here. Daphne, ugh, just no, 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 no you can't fall for the old coat jacket take off sleeve roll up trick and then come here and pretend like it didn't happen, that's not how this works Daphne that is not how this works at all Anthony interrupts the conversation to announce that the prince is going to propose and more, this is the second thing where the, the, the way the creative people approached it just nailed it Throughout this whole scene, as she has done multiple times now, Daphne plays the piano. So you're used to her playing through a scene. They're chatting and she's playing. They're chatting and she's playing. And so when it comes to this scene and Anthony mentions the prince is going to propose and she stops playing, it's really jarring. I remember like I I had my headphones on. I remember like touching them like, wait, did the soundtrack just cut out? It's a jarring moment and it tells you everything you need to know about Daphne's shock and surprise without using any words. And a a great, another show don't tell moment using the soundtrack. I loved it so much. Very well done. Daphne talks about how it's so soon and she's not sure if she can accept it. But again, not doing it with any words really, which is awesome. And Lady Bridgerton is very kind. And Anthony! Killing it in this scene. This is the best Anthony scene in this whole show so far. Sands maybe the milk thing because that was funnier, but Lady Bridgerton's like, oh, no, no, don't worry. You don't have to decide now. It's fine. And Anthony's like, I told the prince that I know better than to speak for my sister, which again, this is a new Anthony we're talking about, but I was pissed off last episode. Not mad. I wasn't mad. I wasn't pissed off. I wasn't mad. I was just like, I pointed it out that Anthony only had two words. To, to do his whole reversal, so now we're, we're getting a little more of a, of a, of a fleshing out of his, his change from someone who will definitely speak for Daphne to someone who will definitely not. And this change only lasts until later in the episode, so don't, Anthony's got some stuff going on later, but at least in this scene, Anthony's being kind, Lady Bridgerton's being kind, and Daphne has all the choices in front of her, and I just appreciated the way they were both treating her. Lady Bridgerton and Daphne go into this whole conversation about the duke and Daphne is finally having to break it to Lady Bridgerton that it was a ruse and that it like Lady Bridgerton's saying like I saw the way you two looked at each other it's real whatever and Daphne is saying like no it's not and again you can tell she doesn't believe what she's saying but she's saying it and it's very heartbreaking cuz you can tell she loves the duke and you can tell Lady Bridgerton wants her to be with the duke and Lady Bridgerton has this awesome moment where she Just says, I don't care about rank. I just want you to have the best for you. She's a really good mother. And then I put, except for the sex. Tell, like, if you want the best for her, tell your daughters the basics. I don't need you to give the full 2021 Canadian sexual education curriculum to your daughters. But if they are going into life not knowing what a penis is... That is not enough sexual education. So you want the best except for the sex ed part, which at least she's not the only one who's not telling her daughters that because the Featherington daughters don't know anything about it either. But still, I have that one quip to make. How do you, like, just do it. Just tell them, just something, anything, literally anything. My biggest problem with it is that it's nothing. Not that it's inadequate. There's no information and it really bugs me and it's still bugging me in this scene. And so I just want to point that out that she's she wants the best but i think there's work to do on her end to give her daughters the best. And this is the part i mentioned it up top where this is the third i want it's definitely the second i want to say it's the third or fourth time this show where characters are acting and this is very hard to act where you are saying one thing and you have to convince the character in front of you lady or not um daphne has to be convincing enough That Lady Bridgerton believes that it was a ruse, but not convincing enough because we know that she really wants the Duke. And so that's a very fine line to have to act out. And I think I want to say her name is Phoebe. I could be totally wrong. If her name's not Phoebe, y'all are going to freaking tweet me or whatever. But the way this was acted is perfect. It's very hard to act. And I appreciated that the the, the the woman who acts Daphne's character just absolutely nailed and finessed the, I have to convince my mom that this is a ruse, but I also like breaking the fourth wall, have to convince the people watching that I really care about the Duke. And it was very well done. Lady Danbury has another scene. There's always one scene in each episode where Lady Danbury's just shitting on the Duke, and I love it. She's yelling at him about all kinds of things. You're taking this for granted. You gotta be with Daphne. What are you doing? You're a fool. I raised you. You know better. Just going hard. She has this conversation with the Duke, and I don't know how I feel about it yet. I left this off, the what worked and didn't work for me on purpose. I am holding my take on this until I get more information She talks about how the reason why the characters of color, the people of color in this world, are elevated to the same status as the white characters is because the king fell in love with the queen, who is a person of color. I had not even considered or thought about it once this entire show. Not once. I just accepted the cast as the cast, and I just watched the show. At no point, I thought, why is the Duke black? Right. I thought this was a white people time. I never thought about it. Never, ever, ever once until this moment. And so it really, it was jarring in that way. In that I, I just wish we could have TV shows with a very diverse cast and not have to talk about it. Cause why does it matter? Why can't the Duke just be black? This is a fake show. This is a made up show, right? There are real elements to it. It's a, it's not a real thing. It's a TV show. You can do anything you want in a tv you're you're like people create it It comes from nothing this existed from nothing and so it's it's frustrating to me that there's finally a show not finally there are other shows like it but like there's a show that i'm watching with a very diverse cast and i don't once think about it i don't go like wow this cast is very diverse or anything i just like enjoy it for what it is there's a diverse cast because it turns out A diverse group of people with different faiths and skin colors can all be good actors. And so I hadn't once thought about it. And then she mentions that in the world, that the black characters are only where they are because the king had married a black woman. So everyone was like, whoa, okay, we like black people now. Is the the insinuation, she doesn't say it quite as indelicately, but that's kind of what she's insinuating. And the Duke goes in and gives us more information about the king, which is nice that the king's mind is hanging on one loose and tenuous thread and that she can, or he can change his mind whenever he wants so i'm 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 waiting to have an opinion on this so far if i had i just there's just a diverse cast of good actors who are acting a show because they're good actors and i just wish that that could happen without having to explain it right like hey this cast has six black people why why well, it's just because they're good actors. Like I don't understand why we need to make it so we'll see. We'll see. I know this is based on books. Maybe it matters. Maybe there's a really good in-world reason to bring this up now. I hope there is, because it really took me out of it, and I just I had never thought about it. So making me think about it kind of sucks if it doesn't lead anywhere. So I, I'm I'm thankful there's a good cast. They're great actors. There's a there's a very diverse cast, you know, a whole bunch of different people with different faiths and different skin tones and different whatever you want to, whatever, pick a diverse thing and it exists in the show. And that's great. I just wish the show didn't have to have an in-world reason for it. Cause I could just be that diverse people are great actors. And so they, they are in TV shows and that, I don't know, I don't know. Taking development. We'll talk about it if it comes up again. I hope it doesn't. Cause I really like that. There was just a diverse cast and it didn't need to be explained. Cause when there's a show with a bunch of white people, no one explains why there's a bunch of white people right? It just, everyone just accepts that there's white people because they're actors who are acting in a TV show. So I just wish that we could accept a diverse cast as easily without having to have an in-world reason for it. So we'll see how this goes. I didn't put it in the things that didn't work for me because I'm waiting for more in-world information if we get it before I have a take on this. But this is definitely something I'll talk about at the end of season review or earlier if, if it comes up again. There's also a really cool contrast in this scene. Lady Danbury is taking the position of love conquers all, referencing the king and the queen getting married, and the duke is disagreeing, saying love changes nothing, and it's an interesting contrast. Like most Lady Danbury dumping on the duke scenes, I completely agree with Lady Danbury in almost everything she's saying, but the duke is making some good points about the king's mental state, which the points would be better if I personally knew what the king's situation was, which we don't know, so maybe we'll find out, maybe we won't. But it's just a cool contrast to have characters who have completely opposite views, but that are that are handling it in a in an adult way in this scene. And and I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this scene. I just wish there didn't have to be an in-world explanation for a diverse cast and that it could just be as accepted as a, a full white cast because we accept that all the time when there is one. So I just, I don't know. We'll talk about this scene later in different episodes as it comes up again. We are heading to yet another ball. This time it is the Trowbridge ball, and Marina is stuck dancing with Lord Rutledge. And Sneeze and Cheese is here. This is where we find out Sneeze and Cheese likes cheese. And Lady Featherington is stoked. Lady Caliper is here and is chastising Daphne for freaking doing Daphne things and being into the prince, and she could choose anyone. We talked about Lady Calper enough at the top, but she just needs to go away. And Lady Bridgerton is chugging down that drink, you go, girl. So this is the intro to a ball. You kind of get a sense of what all the characters are doing. Marina's stuck. Lady Featherington is happy. Sneezing, sneeze and Cheese is killing it. Lady Cowper is there and being annoying. And Lady Bridgerton is just getting boozed up. Just boozed up. Lady Bridgerton, in her heyday, was definitely, like, she she was in a sorority. Whatever the equivalent of a sorority was. And she was she spent all of her... All of her pre-children days, just, you can tell, just, she's a, she's an experienced drinker, for sure. We cut to the Duke, and he's looking at the painting, the hand-holding painting from last episode, and he asks one of his helpers, his servants, I don't know what the correct terminology is, they're referred to as the help and the servants in this show, so pick one, I I don't think it matters too much, and the guy's like, hey, hey dickhead, you wanted the, you have the gall to ask me why this is here? You specifically requested that it be here, and I will remind you that it was no small task. <laughs> the servant is is as respectfully as possible, not having anything. So it, it's really cute that the Duke wanted this painting back, the one that him and Daphne looked at last episode. And he looks, the way he looks at this painting, he looks absolutely shaken. And he has all these flashbacks to the hand-holding scene. With Daphne, it's really cute. It's really great, and you get the sense that he is going to, after this scene, go and do something, which we'll we'll uh, we'll discuss when it happens later. Benedict takes Lord, not Lord Granville, Mister Granville, up on his offer of heading to the art studio, and they go and there's a whole bunch of Lord Granville, or not Lord, like I, Lord Viscounts, Duke. They're just all what they're just all some. These guys all look the same, okay? They all I don't know. We're at the granville guy's house, and it's an art studio, and there's nude models, and all these people are painting, and Mr. Granville's saying, you know, this is just a group of like-minded individuals, and Benedict I wasn't expecting this, but Benedict, you can see, just by, based on what he's saying and the way he's acting, that he's a little bit jealous of, of his life, and Mr. Granville's talking to him about being the, the second child or the younger child. The heirs, the oldest ones, so this is Anthony, have all the all the responsibility, and the youngest ones have none of it. And I just, this is, Benedict I know is younger, but he is definitely older in real life. So it's really hard for me to believe that Anthony is older because the actor that plays Anthony is so much younger for sure than the one that plays Benedict. But anyway, I even put in Cabell as the actor is way older than Anthony, um, but second sons get to have all the fun. And so they shall in this art studio. And now we have Tro Bridge Ball Part 2, The Sienna Boogaloo. Anthony looks fucking stunned when he sees Sienna. And Sienna's beautiful in this scene. She's dressed up all in some sort of themed dress for the occasion. She's singing in French, which is awesome. So Sienna is singing just, she's incredible. She's incredible. Anthony looks at her absolutely like shaken to his core. At the same moment, Lady Bridgerton's like, "Uh uh-uh uh-uh, Anthony, this is the last straw, and bring someone over, let Miss Addington over to meet Anthony. And Anthony's pretty much like, yes, it's hi, Miss Addington. I'm going to keep staring at my mistress over here, because she is... Uh. Anthony in this scene, you can... I think he cares about her. I think he cares about her, and you can see it. He looks, the acting, the facial expressions, the way the camera focuses on his face to give us that time to understand where anthony's coming from and mama bridgerton has the best reaction to all this where she just goes and keeps keeps drinking she just turns around like fuck this i'm out anthony's a shit i can't deal with him and just goes and chugs another drink and i really love that and then we get Mr. Featherington, I liked Mr. Featherington when he was just aloof looking at the newspaper and stuff, but now he's being a dink because Philippa comes over to Lady Featherington crying. Lady Featherington says something about how unbecoming it is for for a lady to cry, and Philippa's like, Philippa, who's known sneeze and cheese or cheese and sneeze for like 30 seconds total is telling about how she loved him and that dad said that i couldn't be with him he said something to him and now he won't look her in the eye and i put papa featherington was much cooler when he was aloof he has shades of anthony's skill here in the matchmaking business so we'll we'll see we learn later why he's not allowing Philippa to get married to cheese and sneeze but It's In this this scene, before we find out the reason, you kind of get the sense that this is really similar to how Anthony did it with Lord Burbrook earlier. Just the opposite. In that case, it was you have to get married. In this case, it's you can't. But I I had shades of Anthony, old Anthony here. Eloise has this great scene where she's rummaging around her servants' quarters. Also, Eloise, how rude. Like this lady says, she wiped your bottom when you were in leading strings. I don't know what that means but she did it and you're being very disrespectful and rude by rummaging around her her uh, little apartment area here Eloise seems to think for whatever reason that one of her servants is Lady Whistledown because she has a lot of Lady Whistledown pamphlets. The servant laughs in her face, says, aren't you meant to be the smart one? And then tells Eloise to GTFO, which is, you know what, fair enough for her. What I loved about this scene, though, is the lighting of this scene. It's lit in, like, with natural candlelight. We have another scene later between both the Featherington parents that that uses, like, proper candlelight. And I really enjoyed the way the candles are flickering on their faces, and you get a sense that they're in the servant quarters with the the natural candlelight. And I liked the the, the 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 whoever the director of photography was. I really liked how they set up the lighting for this Eloise scene in the Helps room. Back at the Trowbridge ball for part three, um, there's some off comment about how the tro- <laughs> the Trowbridge baby. So Lady Trowbridge is recently widowed, but with a newborn. And so the husband died, and we don't know why, but we get this comment from somebody that the baby looks like one of her servants. And so is it insinuated that Lady Trowbridge had an affair with this servant and then killed her husband? That's kind of what I took. I don't think it matters at all. Maybe it'll come back later, but that's what I took from this. Colin and Penelope are being all cutesy together. Colin is back. I don't think he was in last episode at all. So Colin is back and he is going in to save Marina from Lord Rutledge. And is he just going to save Marina? No, he's going to be fucking hilarious when he does it. And he's talking about how... (laughs) or Lord Rutledge is a walking spittle factory and it's just all great. Colin is great. I love Colin. Colin is the best character in this show. The prince decides the best time to propose to Daphne. I don't think the prince has gotten like the memo from Anthony or Daphne that it's cool to propose yet though. So I don't know what the point of the last scene was. Whatever. Um, but the prince decides he's going to propose during a song where you have to switch partners which seems a little bit strange that that that's the best possible time to do this. There's no rush I think proposing either when you're not dancing or when you're not switching partners every 30 seconds is a much better plan. But you know what? I'm not a prince. So what do what do I know about... Pr- I'm not a prince or married. So what do I know about any of this? Um, Daphne, though, as soon as she realizes that the prince is right about like on the precipice of proposing, just pieces out and has to leave. And Lady Cowper has this look like, I'm going to follow this person. I'm going to follow her. She looks, she looks suspicious. Something's happening. I'ma go, I'ma go see what she's up to. Now we get to the garden. Daphne runs out of the ball. She's going, she's crying. She's taking off her Netflix. Or her Netflix. Ha <laughs> ha! Her Netflix, you guys. I swear to God, I'm not drunk. Her necklace. She's taking off her. It's actually like like 10 a.m. Definitely not drinking. She's taking off her Netflix necklace. And she the the again, the camera work here, the acting, the writing, when she takes it off, you just feel that release. Like all this stress has been pent up inside of her, and as soon as she removes the the necklace, the release is there. The Duke just happens to be behind her, because why not? And they have this conversation. Daphne says, pretty much does the reverse dunk on the Duke from when he broke up with her, and says his apology is wholly unnecessary, and he made it perfectly clear that they were never friends, and that his apology has no bearing on her life whatsoever, and he's not saying anything, and that pisses Daphne off, and so they have this back and forth, and... That leads to Daphne running into the garden. And then I wrote in my notes, Daphne, why do you keep running into the garden? We went over this in episode one, how bad it is to be alone in the garden without a chaperone. But she runs into the garden anyway. The Duke, of course, follows her this whole time. Daphne's yelling about, stop following me. You can tell she doesn't mean it. You can tell she wants the Duke again. I wrote down again, very good Kira Knightley vibes. She has some really good lines during the running part, during the initial conversation about how she doesn't understand why the duke would want to be forlorn and alone and that he whether he's a rake or not a rake and it doesn't matter and oh she's definitely so good in this scene and then they get to the 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 peak moment of this garden scene her and the duke look each other in the eye they're deep into the garden maze now and they have this one kiss the duke goes in so this is a duke initiated kiss Daphne goes. It's a a long kiss, but it's not like a makeout. It's it's like the line, wherever the line between kissing and making out is, that's where this initial kiss happens. And boy, does it escalate quickly. Then they pull apart. The Duke says, my sincerest apologies. Then Daphne. Daphne, off the top rope, goes back in for the full makeout sesh. And I have so many questions. The first of which is, isn't this da- this must be Daphne's first kiss. This must have been. that Like, the, the kiss before the makeout sesh must have been her first kiss ever. She knows nothing about sex. She knows nothing about nothing. She knew what kissing was in her flashbacks of the Duke, but she didn't, like, actually kiss him even in the flashbacks. I think this must be her first kiss. She goes in to the makeout sesh that she initiates the second one. And she goes in as if this is, like, a walk-in. Like, she, like, as if this is, like, run-of-the-mill. She goes in with the experience that this scene requires, which I don't think she has. I'm not sure how this was choreographed. I just think there's a discrepancy of which, like, how comfortable she is in this makeout sesh, based on the fact that just two seconds earlier was her first ever kiss. And maybe... Maybe I think it's just that most people, myself included, have, like, really awkward first kisses. And it's not anything like this. And you're not a princess or whatever. And they're not a duke. And it's not nearly as romantic. So I think maybe I'm just projecting off my own, you know, like, awkward friggin' 12-year-old, 13-year-old, like, first proper kiss, whatever. But I think her comfortability in the second sequence here... Is like he, like the Duke is going in. Once Daphne, this is Daphne initiated, which I think is important. Again, for her character, that she's taking control of the situation. She knows what she wants. She is in control here. But also, the Duke is not, like, the Duke is also going in. They, they feel equal. Here's the problem. We know the Duke sleeps around a lot, and we know Daphne doesn't know anything about anything. So they are not coming from equal. Places of knowledge or experience, yet they look like they have done this many a time. And the Duke is grabbing bum, he's grabbing boob, he is going all in, and then of course, of course, this is the peak, this is we're halfway through the show... Daphne and the Duke are finally making out. It's great. We're happy. They're happy. This is all, it's all consensual. It's all fun. They're both into it. Hooray. And then Anthony shows up and goes, you bastard. And I'm like, oh man, like even in my notes, I was like, oh, fuck off, Anthony. I was having fun with this. This is the emotional payoff of four hours of television and Anthony of all people has to come into the least. Can anyone else find them? Even if it was Lady Cowper, it would have added to her character, but really Anthony has to find them. And (laughs) I like how he immediately jumps to, so you have to marry her, which I have so many more questions about this. So let's say this is a big loophole that needs addressing. Let's say I am a man with foul intentions in this time. Everyone knows I suck. Everyone knows how terrible I am. And yet there's someone like Daphne, the diamond of the first water. If I would like to marry her, but no one will allow me that marriage. Do I just have to, like, sneak her into the garden and just start making out with her? Like, because they go... Because this is... Anthony is placing the full blame on the duke here. Daphne, he doesn't think Daphne has anything to do with this. So, Anthony says that you defiled her innocence. So, the punishment for defiling her innocence is to marry her. Which... I think there's a loophole here that can be abused because if I... Let's let's say I'm the Duke, right? Let's say you're in this world, me or another male figure who has bad intentions, let's say, and you go, and you're like, I really want to marry that person, but there's no way anyone will allow me to do it. Do I just have to like pick them up, take them into the garden, make out with them, have someone see me, and then all of a sudden we have to get married? I don't understand how this whole punishment thing for defiling her annes it's, it's a pretty serious offense and we know it's serious cuz anthony fucking duels or like says he demands satisfaction over it so it's a serious moral offense what the duke has done in this world and yet the punishment is just like you have to marry her which in this case right the, the duke doesn't want that but we as the audience know it's like a great that's, that's not a punishment that's like a great outcome for this whole thing so i i'm confused about the punishment of marriage compared to the offense, which is clearly one of the worst things you can do. I'm just not sure how that clicks together. Anthony, at least in this moment, is being a good brother and demanding satisfaction and defending her honor. We know that she initiated this whole second cabal of making out and and boob grabbing and all that stuff, but in the world here, Anthony is at least being a good brother and (laughs) and daphne asks the right questions to the duke and says so you'd rather die than marry me like is that you'd rather duel instead of marry me and which i'm like yeah daph you're asking the, you're a better sherlock than anthony for sure and you're asking the right questions and the duke says he's sorry and goes off and then he'll see them at dawn or see anthony at dawn for their duel we cut from that to go back to whatever Benedict's doing with the art stuff. One of the things I took away here is Benedict is doing okay with his artwork. He's d- clearly a decent artist. <laughs> Mr. Granville takes this chance to kind of quit back and, and re-criticize Benedict's work after Benedict criticized his. And it's really funny. Um, basically, what, what we can take away from this scene, though, is that Mr. Granville is telling Benedict, Hey, there's no judgment here. It's fine. Come back here anytime you want. You can practice. You left all of that—that that pressure and judgment—behind you at home when you came here. And Benedict also stayed later than everyone else. He's the last one there, so he was clearly really into this. You know, he's by by the end of this scene, he's drinking and drawing, and he doesn't seem to realize what time it is that he stayed very late. And I like that for Benedict. You know, the next scene he's going to end up getting dragged into a duel. So for this scene, he just gets to have fun and paint and or draw, and it's just it's just a good time for him. Back at the Featherington house, Lady Featherington is going hard and is very pissed at her husband for denying this match to Philippa. She is rummaging around all of his things, trying to look for the reason why he could possibly not accept this this deal, this, this match for his daughter, which makes so much sense. The help looks just as disturbed as she did the last time she was in on a plan, which was, of course, that forged letter. So she sticking to her character. Well done, help servant person. Marina talking about Colin to Penelope is extraordinarily rude. Like Marina, know your audience. Penelope, and sh- I know Marina doesn't know this, but we know this. Penelope really likes Colin. So Marina talking to Penelope about Colin really sucks for Penelope and doesn't make me like Marina anymore. And I know it's not her fault, but I can't help but be like, oh, Marina, just know your audience a little bit. Marina's trying to be nice and saying, yo, if I marry Colin, then we'll be sisters and Eloise is here and ah, oh, that's going to be so cool. I also like, can you not deceive Colin? Like, you are pregnant. Like, why do you want Colin? I understand why you want Colin, who is the nicest guy on the show, to be the, the, the de facto father of your child. But why do you want to deceive him like this? Like, he's a good guy. Why are you doing this, Marina? This is not a cool thing to do to trick Colin into marrying you. So... That he will have to father your child, even though he will know that it's not his. Like, it just feels really mean what Marina's trying to do to Colin. And the fact that she's saying all this to Penelope, of all people, makes it even worse. Eloise shows up and <laughs> tries to talk to Penelope about... Lady whistled down, and Penelope is not taking any of it. And Eloise should be able to tell us the way Penelope answers the door. She's just coming out this conversation about Colin. She's clearly upset. She clearly likes Colin, and she just goes in on Eloise. I have adult problems to worry about. I'm on the market. I need to get married. You know, I have bigger, more mature things to worry about than Lady Whistledown. And then tells Eloise that not everyone can be a pretty Bridgerton, which is definitely a step too far. She knows that she immediately apologizes, but Eloise runs out. It's nice to have a little conflict between Eloise and Penelope, especially because <laughs> I think Penelope is mostly, like she's got other things. She's worried about Colin and maybe she wants marriage. And Eloise even says, you don't care about marriage. And Penelope says, maybe I do. Maybe this conversation with Marina has convinced me that I, she doesn't say this part out loud, but that I would like to marry one day. And I, I like that, that little bit of conflict. I don't, I don't know if it really matters that much, but it's there. We should talk about it. We should acknowledge it and see where it goes from here. Back at the Bridgerton house, Daphne and Anthony are talking about the night's events. Daphne is chastising Anthony for not possibly thinking that maybe she wanted this. Maybe this was her idea. Maybe she was equally responsible for what happened. Anthony's like, no, 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 no. You're a woman. You don't have thoughts or feelings. Like it's just Anthony's back to being a dink and doesn't assume that Daphne had any say in this and whatever. And he doesn't blame her. Again, I think he's trying to be a good brother. But with 2021 20, sensibilities, he's just being a dink. But that's fine she has this very witty quip about how she doesn't want the duke's death (laughs) on her hands but also um is is as um what's what's the word she says as um tempting as it might be right now i don't want your death either it's very like a just a funny quip straight to anthony's heart like you know what, as tempting as it might be for you to get killed off in a duel right now, I'd prefer not. So that was really funny from Daphne. The close-up shots in this scene on Daphne's face are great. They're letting a lot of um, Daphne's facial expressions do a lot of the storytelling here about the emotion she's feeling. She's distressed. She's upset. She, like Again, highs and lows. She just had the highest high of her life. Like I, I think she came out of that makeout sesh like a new woman, and then just the immediate down of having to to think about the Duke's death in a duel. And it's just, there's a lot going on in Daphne's face. Her facial expression really captures a lot of that. Benedict comes in, and he just had the best evening of his life. He was doing art. He was... So he's talking to Mr. Granville, and he was having a good time, and they had this whole thing about how he's the second son, so he can do whatever he wants, kind of building on what Eloise said last episode. And then he comes back, and Anthony, like, yoinks him into a room to be like, yeah, you got to come to this duel. You're going to be my second, and if I die, um, or I leave. So, like, I'm either going to die in this duel, or I'm going to have to leave the country, so you're going to be in charge of everything. No more second son for you. Capiche, capiche, and then... Colin comes in as well and he has this very fun moment where he's walking Miss Bridgerton and we've seen the the, the, the few cuts of Miss Bridgerton just drinking loads and <laughs> so she's wasted and she's like walking up the stairs and Colin's laughing at her. It's a very cute like mother son moment and then Colin gets dragged into this whole duel thing and it's just a mess and Anthony's just stirring the pot just stirring the shit. I think he's trying to do his best but it's it's uh it's just uh. Will finds the Duke rummaging around his house for a drink saying, if you wanted a drink, was this really the best place to find one? The Duke tells him I have to meet um, Mr. Bridgerton at dawn. He's demanded satisfaction. And Will has like the sensible thing and is just, just saying, can you just apologize? Whatever you did. Whatever you did, there's no amount of honor that you can't fix or dishonor that you can't fix with an apology. <laughs> and she says, and as he's downing a drink, it's very cool, these little these little moments of choreography. So it's as he's downing a drink, he's like, not when it comes to his sister. And Will, Will says, how insulted was she? And the Duke doesn't say anything, implying like, D- this was about... Like, he knows. He knows in this world what he just did with Daphne. Was about as insulted as a woman could be. <laughs> so, uh, Will is going to be a second, and has this really cool moment where he says that the Duke can't stop him from being the second. That Will is going to be the second no matter what. And I appreciated that. That Will is a tried and true friend in this. Also, I'm not sure if there's an element of like, hey, you came to you came to my thing when I needed your help just earlier in this episode so I'll come to your thing when you need my help but it's a really cool scene very funny and it establishes Will is like a, a really good friend character and it lets you know the Duke knows what he did was wrong knows what he did is, is not kosher and that the duel is probably a fair way to to, to handle this Anthony shows up at Siena's right before the duel and is pretty much like... Actually, you know what? Before that happens, there's a really cool cut where he is drinking and the Duke is drinking. And they're cutting between Anthony and his office thinking about the duel and the Duke explaining the duel to Will and explaining the situation. Anthony takes his drink and then you see him at Sienna's house and he has clearly had some kind of oh shit moment where he knows that if he survives this duel, he's going to have to leave, which means he's unburdened by society and that he will be able to take Sienna with him and they can live their life. So he shows up at Sienna to kind of spill his heart, tell her the situation. Sienna at first is pretty much like, yeah, fuck off, mate. I don't want anything to do with you. He says, uh, he acknowledges that like, yes, I've taxed your patience for the last time but once he explains the duel situation you can see Sienna cares about him too and despite the the amount of shit Anthony's uh put her through and that he's treated her poorly she does care about him and they do this whole makeout session they're crying and they're whatever and I just thought you know what pre duel sex I'm in on it I like it you know you're going you are sitting there you know you're dueling in the morning there's a good chance you might die why not go find the love of your life And see if you can make it work. Why not spill your heart out? Why not? Like, it's a very, like, I might die or I have to leave the country situation. So I'm just going to take my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm going. I'm talking to Sienna. We're going to have some awesome pre-dual sex. I'm going to be hyped up going into it. And I, you know what? Of course Anthony finds a way. To, to flip this whole dueling situation to benefit him. Like he'll be able to leave. Benedict will have all the responsibility and he can just be off with Sienna somewhere. But I, in this moment, you might die in the morning. And so why not? Why not go and spill your heart to Sienna and see if you can make something work? And I appreciated that. <laughs> back at the featherington house lady featherington has found out that her husband is an absolute dipshit and has gambled all of their money away including the dowries for her girls and that is why sneeze and cheese is gone why why the daughter can't get married there's no dowry left again this is the second scene out of the two i mentioned where the candlelight was really really good they, they're using this natural candlelight to 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 show you the, the emotion of these scenes and to really make you immerse you in the world. And I, I really enjoyed the way this scene was lit and the way it was shot. Lady Featherington chastises him. And I don't know if I know anything about ledgers or gambling. if I'm Mr. Featherington and I've gambled all our money away. I'm not sure I'd be writing that down in a in a not an easy to find thing. It took Lady Featherington a minute. But like in just the ledgers I don't know if I'd be like in the family finance book that people are going to look through later, write down that I've lost all this money to gambling. Maybe it's a legal thing. I'm not sure, but it seems suspicious that all of his gambling losses are just written down in like the ledgers, like the normal place where you would find that information. And then after Lady Featherington chastises him, he just starts bawling his eyes out. He's failed her. He's failed his daughters. And he just starts crying. And Lady Featherington's like kind of hugging him and has no idea what to do. And it's, You feel bad for Mr. Featherington. It explains a lot of how he's acted. And we did build up to this. We had a few moments in earlier episodes where you could see that he was really bad at gambling. So this moment was earned and it was built up to. And (laughs) just when he starts crying, he's such an ugly crier. And Lady Featherington has no fucking idea what to do with this weeping mess. And it's... It's charming and it's funny and you feel bad for Philippa and all of it's mixed together. It's just a very, very good scene. And finally, we are at the end of the episode. It is duel time. We start off this duel with Anthony leaving and Sienna's pretending to be asleep. I'm not sure what to make of this. It was very intentional that Anthony walks over to Sienna, kisses her on the forehead, leaves, but that Sienna was pretending to be asleep. She immediately opens her eyes as if she hasn't slept at all. I don't know if we're meant to take it that she's anxious, that she's worried, that she's excited, that she can't sleep because Anthony might... I'm not sure how to take it, but it's there, so we'll we'll take in development we'll leave it there. It's just a moment that they put in the show intentionally, and I'm not sure what we're meant to make of it, but I'm sure Sienna comes back in the next episode for us to, to dive deeper into that relationship Colin speaks a lot of sense we, we move back to the Bridgerton house and Colin is speaking a lot of sense like hey there's this duel going on you can't show up but also like still being kind of a dink because even Colin the nicest guy in this world is like oh Daphne leave the men to do their own things the men are gonna deal with this and you don't have to worry your pretty little head and Daphne's like shut the fuck up Colin like I keep getting told that I can't think for myself and I can't so if you could just tell me where they're dueling please uh, I would like to know and I, eventually Colin does because Daphne shows up at the duel. Daphne has this flashback after Colin says, hey, you're lucky no one saw you. What he did was a grave injustice. Um, Daphne has this flashback of Lady Cowper realizing Lady Cowper had this quip like, oh, did you enjoy your time in the garden? And it's not clear to me that Lady Cowper could actually see them, but they did build it up properly that lady Cowper knew something was up so i'm not sure if lady Cowper's just calling a bluff here or 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 taking a chance like hey i know her and the duke were in the garden and she looked very shaken after that and then she wasn't wearing the necklace maybe they were making out in the forest or something so i'm just gonna take my shot here and and mention it but anyways daphne's having a flashback to that moment it's like shit we were seen we were seen so now i've got to go talk to the duke colin we were seen someone saw us you have to let me Go and talk to the Duke because we're going to figure something out or else my honor will be tarnished forever or whatever it is that's going through her head. I put in my notes, can Lady Cowper just go wherever Mr. Burbrook went? Like, she's just the next Nigel Burbrook. Not the same exact role, but just in terms of villainy, just, you're just there. You're just there to move the plot along. You're just there to be generally bad and say a few lines that move things where they need to go. If, like, I don't know where Mr. Burbrook went, but if Lady Cowper could just go there. That would be awesome. Maybe they'd be good for each other, actually, now that I think about it. Maybe they get married somewhere. Lady Cowper, Lord Burbrook, married off in the countryside somewhere. The duel gets going now. And Anthony arrives first, and the music is hyping up, and it's like, oh, I, I don't want to even trying to mimic the music here, because I won't do it justice, but the music is matching the moment, and it's all hyped up, and they're paying off the doctor, and the do- the doctors, uh, Anthony and Benedict, are trying to figure out where he should shoot if he just wants to wound and not kill the Duke, and the doctor's like, yeah, come off it, mate. You, there's no, unless you're the king's finest marksman, there's no chance that you're going to be able to shoot anywhere near where you're trying. Pretty much telling Anthony that he's going to suck at this, which, is, which anyone who wants to dunk on Anthony, I'm in on, even if it's the random doctor that we're never going to see again. I enjoyed that. Anthony is talking to Benedict about, Hey, if I die here, there's a name of a woman, which we can take to be Sienna and you need to take care of her. So he does care about Sienna. This is the final confirmation for me. Official like it was taken development until now. Take closed. Anthony does actually care about Sienna and he passes the watch over. And we know the significance of this watch because he keeps fucking looking at it, but also because last episode miss bridgerton had that moment alluding to it and saying it's a wonderful heirloom but time is of the essence implying that he needs to get married so he passes the watch to benedict which is a symbolic gesture like hey this is me kind of exiting being the man of the house and i was very bad at it so maybe you'll do better and (laughs) for something meant to be a secret this field is awfully wide open for a duel you only need to walk... You need a full 20 paces, right? Both start in the middle, and both walk 10 paces in either direction, which is a full 20-pace swing. So you only need to find an area where you can walk 20 paces. Do it in the forest. Don't do it in the field where anyone from a mile away can see. Ridiculous. This is a ridiculous sight to have a duel. It's way too wide open for how illegal this is. Anyways... They're doing the duel. I'm singing the 10 duel commandments in my head. The music's hyping me up. I'm all in on Hamilton. And the Duke points his pistol in the sky. He aims his pistol in the sky, moment from Hamilton. And he is not going to shoot Anthony. He's just resigned. He's going to die or get shot or Anthony's going to miss. But in this duel, the Duke is throwing away his shot. He's just going to shoot it into the air. Anthony's like aiming. His hand is shaking again. He's not going to be able to shoot accurately. The doctor was absolutely right. And then Daphne comes in right when Anthony shoots. Anthony misses everyone. Thank God. Daphne arrives on scene. Anthony is pissed off that um, Daphne would bother the gentleman during their gentlemanly business. Because of course he is. But he or she has the right of it. And she's like, look, we were seen. Y'all need to shut the fuck up. I need to talk to the Duke. And we need to organize this whole thing. Daphne in this conversation with the Duke knows what she wants right? She is convinced they were seen. I'm not convinced they were fully seen. Is Daphne convinced they were fully seen? Be- or maybe she's just using, maybe she's like, I want to marry the Duke and Lady Calper thinks she saw us. So I'll just take that to mean she definitely did. Cause now I have a way in to marry the Duke instead of the Prince, but is explaining this to the, or the Duke and the Duke we know has made this vow to not have kids. But as far as I'm aware, he can still actually, like, physically have kids. Like all the parts work and everything. If he wanted to have kids, he could. He's just not doing it because he made a vow to his father that he wouldn't marry or have kids is the situation that I have right now. And I have a lot of problems with this, if that's true. If he's actually able to have kids and he's only this whole thing is just for that vow, I have a few problems, but I'm going to hold off on saying those just in case he physically can't have kids and I'm misunderstanding. Like there's the vow and there's like a physical inability. I'm going to wait till next episode or two episodes from now. But if he's able to have kids, I have so many problems with how this is playing out. Anyways, Daphne is like, look, you need to marry me. I don't know why you don't want to marry. And like, the Duke doesn't tell her either. Like, the Duke could do himself a lot of favors and be like, Look, I made this out of my dad. He was a raging asshole. And I promised I'd never marry. I promised I'd never have kids. That means a lot to me. And I love you. I just, I love you. Um, I don't know what he'd say. Like, I appreciate you. I'd love to be with you. I would marry you, but I just, it personally, I could not bring myself to do it. And he would at least come off. In the like, at least with a reasonable opinion here, but Daphne to me has the right of the whole situation, and she's just like, "Look, I am ruined. You need to marry me." If Lady Calper says anything, I'm absolutely ruined. Which I'm not sure I agree. Like, I don't know. If Lady Calper just went around just saying stuff like, "Hey, I saw these two making out in the forest," couldn't they just be like, "No, we didn't," and couldn't Anthony just pretend? Like, I don't know. I don't know about this whole situation. I'm gonna keep this whole take in for next episode to see how it plays out, but. In this episode, with what we know, I think Daphne's correct that, look, she might be ruined. This might be the end of her, and they are a good match, and she knows he doesn't love her, but to dislike her so much that he would do something that he knows would require her or him to marry her. And then to not follow through on that for what appears to Daphne is no reason to condemn her, to to use her word shame and reproach. She is correct. Simon is not doing the correct thing here. He went into that garden. He started making out with her and grabbing all the, the parts because he, he knew when he was doing that, that he would have to marry Daphne if they were caught, that that would be the consequence And he doesn't want to face consequences for his actions. If you do not want to marry and you do not want to have kids, you need to not kiss people if the result for kissing those people is that society will want you to marry. The Duke does not have this correctly. Daphne does, and I feel really bad for her here. And then the Duke at least says that he could never give her children. Isn't that what you want, to have children, to have a loving family like you've known all your life? Isn't that what you crave? I cannot give that to you. Daphne thinks about it for a long moment. Anthony's trying to keep the duel going before they get seen. And then Daphne, absorbing this information about the Duke not being able to have kids, says, no, it's fine. The Duke and I are to be married. And I have so many questions about this, specifically around whether the Duke can or can't physically have kids, because that's a huge difference that I'm going to talk about whenever we find out what the answer to that question is. But right now, I feel for Daphne because now, now she's double screwed, right? Like she now has to marry the Duke r- regardless or else her reputation might be gone forever, right? Shame and reproach and all that. But now she didn't know up until this point that he could – she thinks that he can't have kids, like physically. I'm sure that's how she's taken it, right? So she knows if she goes into this marriage, which she's now agreed to, she can't have the perfect life that she wants, but she's willing to do it anyways, and i'm going to i i need to sit on this and i need another episode to really fully um take in the whole situation and what's happening and how this plays out but we end this episode with what seems like an agreement however begrudgingly between the duke and daphne that they are going to get married the duel is off no one needs to die they can avoid all this nonsense from lady cowper and that's going to happen. I wonder what's going to happen with the prince cuz that seemed like a pretty done deal, so maybe there'll be some conflict there. But with this whole marriage thing, I felt awful for Daphne and I felt like the duke was being just I don't want to say completely moronic because of the we know how much trauma he had and we know how much those those vows must have meant for him to make to his father on his deathbed, but at the end of the day the duke does not want to face the consequences of his actions. This is a man that knows better. This is a man who who understands how to be in the world. And he went and did what he did with Daphne in the garden, knowing full well, if they were caught, that this would be the end result. And if he did not want this, he should not have done that. So I am pro Daphne in this whole scene and the Duke needs to face, con- the Duke is, the come up, the comeuppance is here. The Duke is facing the consequences of his actions and vows are not, right? You had your vows. You had your chance to, to keep those vows to your father, but he decided to do something that would force him to break them. And so I don't feel as bad as I would had this been something that he accidentally stumbled into. He was fully participating in this, knowing that this is where it might end up, and this is where it has ended up. So in my head, he needs to honor that commitment, and it's on the Duke now to stop being a turd and to, 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 to face up to the consequences of his actions. All right. With all that being said, I think that's it for me this episode. I'm determined to make each podcast longer than the last one, it seems. We'll see after editing where this one comes out. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm really, really humbled and thankful for all the support this podcast is getting. We're up past 300 downloads now. When I recorded this podcast two days ago, we were just under 200. You guys are incredible. You guys are watching from like 16 different countries, which is amazing, and I appreciate you all so much. If you want to connect with me on Twitter to talk about Bridgerton or to find out what show we will be doing next so you can keep in touch with all the podcast feeds, that is at Let's Dive Deep on Twitter. If you'd like to let me know what you thought of this episode of Bridgerton, whether you agree with me, whether you don't let's dive deep pod at gmail.com is the email address. Don't forget to subscribe to this feed wherever you are to make sure you don't miss episode five when that podcast comes out. And don't forget to leave a review if you are enjoying the podcast so other people can see your review and be like, hey, maybe that's a podcast I'll enjoy as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. My name is Bradley and we will see you in the next one.